Welcome to the Developer Tribe, it's good to have you here for episode 10 of season 2 as we unpack the practice and process of developers, educators and beyond. Today we talk to a football coach from my home country of Jersey in the Channel Islands about his club, his development of young players and coaches and more widely coach education. Thank you for being here, however you got here. And with that, let's jump in. My guest today is the head coach for GameSense United and lead coach for the Jersey Football Association Centre of Excellence Under-14s. His journey to this point started at 17 years old, but more recently completed the FA Youth Award and is sitting his UEFA B licence at the moment. He also runs the website A Coach's View, talking about a range of coaching practice issues and support. A coach I've gained insight from on many occasions and that I respect for the time and energy he puts into a considered process. It's my pleasure to welcome Aaron Travers to the pod. How are you doing Thanks, today? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, of course. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't think we ever actually got to play together. We've trained together, but clearly you you, you played with my brother at St. John's plenty, though. Yeah, I remember remember back in the day, the young 17-year-old Tim yeah. Jones coming through. But yeah, <laughs> I, think I, I think I kind of got injured and kind of moved on by the time you started breaking through a bit more. Oh, well, yeah. I hope it wasn't my fault. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Probably me not looking after my body enough. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so look, what's what's happening for your coaching at the moment in Jersey? What's what's it look like? Uh, so at the moment, it's all obviously with the kind of current Corona situation. Um, it's a little bit stop-starty. We have been more fortunate than I think you guys in the UK and Scotland and everywhere where most of our games programme is still going ahead. Um, obviously, with the restrictions in place, um, we have to have less than 40 at a game. So that's pretty much the, the two squads, the, the officials and, and the coaches, um, closed doors everywhere. Um, because it's fleeting contact, we're, we're allowed to play games. However, just before Christmas, obviously, it got a bit tight down here. So they reduced the, the numbers to 10. So um, there's been no games since, I think, the beginning of December. And we're optimistic we can kind of get back to games in, in the next two weeks will, will be ideal. Um, that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're missing it. Um, as as part of preparing for this, I, I asked you what topics you might want to discuss, and and got a list worthy of multiple episodes. To be honest, uh, <laughs> you know, it's testament to your your knowledge and interest in in coaching. But I wanted to start with with your club, Game Sense United. Yep. How did that come about? Um, so. Uh, the two previous clubs I was at were St Paul's. Um, I was there for about 14 years. Um, left there and was kind of in, asked to go and support um, kind of the new makeup of Groove FC. Um, off the back of that, um, well, off the back of that, when I come back from Australia, um, did a bit of work there again, but just decided that kind of um, my own philosophy, my own way of doing things, I'd like to try and build a, a, a team, not just a team, but several teams and a club around. Um, so we decided to start what was originally a, a private business in 2014, um, but it didn't take too long for us to realise then that actually we wanted to turn it into a club and as a private business you weren't allowed to play other local clubs around the island or other affiliated clubs. So with the, the support of Brian Oliver at the JFA, um, we formed Game Central United in 2015. In the January then, we had our first game against, uh, ironically, my old club, St Paul's, which was a nice little kickoff to, to the club as well. Really enjoyed that. Um, so it come about really in terms of we've 
over my experience, there's been lots of families, lots of kids um, that maybe don't have the financial backing or the opportunity to play. So we wanted to create the club around um, open for all, um, inclusive. Um, we've had youngsters come through, we come and go a little bit with autism, Asperger's and things as well. Um, but we also want to kind of push the club forward and also challenge the the better players to, to push to get into the island side and and, and, and beyond that. Um, it started with just myself, Marcus Carlo and Ken Brawley. Um, nine players to start with. And then five years later, we've got about 120 kids, 15 coaches. Um, we don't have our own ground, sadly. So we kind of um, rent facilities from different schools around the island. Um, we're trying to get a, a, a nice link with a club at the moment where we can use their facilities to help us grow and do more around Robert events and festivals to give more opportunities to our kids to play. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was based around an opportunity for everybody because growing up in an estate where I did back here in Jersey as well, you know, limited funding for some families. Uh, those that don't have as, as much access as others, we want to give them the opportunity to get in as well. Um, so yeah, football for all. And then off the back of the football side, playing, uh, sorry, developing young young players, kids. We also, want, in my head, also wanted to develop new coaches. So I wanted to make sure the coaches would come in. Um, ideally, around the philosophy I have and the principles I have, um, can they buy into that? Can I help mentor them and kind of develop them as well? And it seems to be going really well at the moment. Obviously, we all have our own personal characteristics to bring to the job, but you know, we've all got the same same values and same morals and that kind of stuff. So it's going really well at the moment. Yeah, I suspect that that clear philosophy, those clear principles, are why it's been so successful, and it's been a pleasure from the outside to see that grow. Um, can you start to unpack? You know, what, what does game sense to you mean? What is the philosophy? What are those principles of the club? Um, so, yeah, so some, obviously some of the values we, we have are kind of core in terms of anyone that comes in. Um, we, to be fair, we actually start, we, we kind of use the term that, you know, football's, football's the hook. Um, but it's more about the child development side of things. Football's the game that we hook them in with. But we, we want to look at the bigger picture, the, the holistic side of it. So, you know, not in this current climate, but normally shaking hands, making sure we speak to every individual when they come in. We wanted to keep um, our behaviours um, on and off the pitch um, absolutely high standards. So we, we kind of drive high standards to the young players and the, and the parents as well. So obviously, when the parents to buy into what we're doing. Um, I, I always say to our new coaches coming in, you know, manage the parents, coach the kids. We've got to have the open communication with the parents because they're the ones in the cars driving them home, bringing them back. Um, but, yeah, you know, hard work is a, is a prerequisite. They come in, have fun, but you work your backsides off and you work really hard. Um, you're very polite. Um, we all know that it's an emotional game, so especially with kids. I mean, when you start with the year fours and fives, there's, there's crying every session. You know there is, but it's just managing that that side of things as well. And then as you kind of work up the ranks, you know, um, your understanding and the, the player characteristics at ages, different ages and stages kind of develop. But I think um, the big the big one's hard work. Um, we wanted to instill um, a kind of another strap line, I guess, in a way, is a lifelong love of sport. So we've had some kids kind of come to us for the first couple of years, maybe go off and do a different sport and then come back to football. Um, we want players to literally be fit and active and healthy for as long as they can, um, whether it's with us and they fit into how we do things, fantastic. If it's not with us, we want to source an opportunity for them to go elsewhere, whether it's within football or a different sport. But yeah, that's kind of the drivers where we're at with that. Yeah, there's a high level of care that goes into that. And, and you and I have both met loads of coaches clubs 
franchises who say they do this stuff. You know, this this is the the, the strap line of what they do, and that's how they sell it to parents. And then yeah. they don't they don't do it. Um, so the one the one that I'm struggling with there is is hard work because I very often hear that. And then I see coaches, you know, they, they use that as the reason to send them off for laps, send them into sprinting lanes and um, sprinting relays, you know, the very, very little with the ball, um, very much f- pushing towards the physical side of the game. Yeah. What, what does hard work exactly look like for you guys in practice, just so that we get a sense of that? So again, depending on the age and stages, um, if your session design's right, if your um, if, if, how you're coming across the kids is right, if the, if you can get them motivated, fantastic. Normally, if they're motivated and, and encouraged, they want to do the topic that you're working on. The hard work will come out because there's a reward, reward for them at the end of it. You know, there's whatever it may be. Um, obviously, there's some sessions that you might put on where the, your kids, are, you know, I think of some defensive sessions that they don't want to do that. They want to be banging the ball in the back of the net. So it's kind of tailoring off really. Um, what the, what the players want we've got to deliver what the players want um, and we've got to be creative around it and how we're going to do it but in, the intensity of the hard work um, you know the, in terms of the little kids you know and they come off with red faces and all very sweaty and that they're putting an effort in they're running around they're mobile they're getting around the pitch um, the older boys obviously that becomes a prerequisite you should be working hard you should be running around the pitch you should be doing all that side of things but on top of that we then want to test their mentality uh, the psychological side of things their understanding of the game the tactics the, the technical ability um but i do think um in terms of hard work i think part of it's got to come from the coach to set the right environment for them but the other side it's got to come from the player themselves um i remember i've, I've been really fortunate with some of the coaches i've worked with over the years so, so terry moore um i remember him chatting to a couple of us jersey coaches at one point he said you can't force the kids to want to do something it's got to come from them and he said there's no point in giving them doggies shouting at them screaming you know giving giving out some harder because actually if they don't want to do it they don't want to do it so you've got to find a way to connect with them to encourage them to want to do it so once you've done that half the half the battle's there yeah. so it's a case of um you know can we pull out of them what they really want to encourage the hard work after that yeah getting getting that rapport with them relating to them yeah. Uh, having that strong coach athlete relationship and then yeah you can usually draw out some of this higher intensity work from them but it also sounds like enjoyment is a big big part of how you set up your sessions uh you know you spoke about the the younger players having red faces but smiles as well and you know that's that's why they want to work hard so in terms of your session design what what are the principles of that that help you and the other coaches within your club to uh, improve the chances of the players enjoying themselves during practice. Okay. Um, so with the younger ones, it's um, a lot of tag games. Um, obviously, they just love the, the connection. Short, sharp bursts. So we normally, so if we've got um, the, the little ones for an hour, we try to, we, we always try to have half the session at least game based, whether it's 15 minutes at the end, 15 at the beginning, or half and half hour is going to be. But the, the technical side of games, uh, you know, over the years, being out in America as we've done, we've been Australian things, it's almost kind of like um, it's a different story for the younger ones. Uh, the moment, you know, there's been like Frozen themes, there's been Shrek themes, there's been Star Trek themes, very similar game, but a different kind of uh, a spin on it. 
Um, but with the, the, the small ones in particular, short, sharp bursts um, seems to be help with their concentration and how they stay focused on it. The, the older ones, there's definitely more around kind of the conditions and constraints games, you know, for whatever it may be, you know, if, if the, the under low team scores, it counts as two and whatever it may be around, around the session design. Um, for the older boys, it's more so working with the 14s now, um, as I've been for the last few years. They pretty much, they're, they're not overly fussed about the incentives and constraints. They just want to play the game and they want rewards off it in terms of just scoring and beating the other team because they're at that level now. You know, they're, they're the best players in the island in our eyes at this moment in time. So we don't need to put as many kind of story-based facts behind them and they're a bit too more mature for that now anyway. So it's almost kind of... Um, designing the session around the characteristics of the group and the age and stage of the group. Um, but the only way you can do that is they, with more experience, asking other people for support, research, read books, kind of speak to other coaches. You know, I'll say I've been doing this God, too long, 25 years, I think now I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've still got no qualms of going to speak to other coaches about stuff. And there's even coaches that have only been working for a year or two where I pick their brains because they've just got a different angle of things. Whereas obviously we've been doing this a while, we might be kind of focused on one area. Actually, a new, a new lad coming through, a new, um, one of our, we've got three young coaches coming through in our, our Game Sense Girls side of things. Actually, I've watched some of their stuff and I've, I've stolen that from my stuff and the minis and the boys just in terms of noughts and crosses games. If you score, run over, you get to put an auto cross on the board and, and they, the little ones just love that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's just definitely ways to manipulate sessions to get their enthusiasm and fun out of it. I would urge that, or I'd argue rather that one of the reasons why you've been so successful in in your career as a coach is that humility to be able to take on information from wherever you know there's yeah. there's no ego about it but you you mentioned the the work you're doing with the jersey fa and the, the center of excellence group and how <clears throat> that group of players because of their competence because of their ability clearly the approach is going to be slightly different yeah. Could you talk about what coaching behaviours, what coaching styles might be stable between the two different environments that you find yourself working in? Yeah. So if I'm looking at it in terms of intervention side of things, um, obviously we know through the FA kind of modules, there's like the five different interventions. Um, as much, I mean, I've, I've kind of steered throughout all five of them over my, my career, probably dominated more on one side to certain age and stages and then flipped it to the others. Um, I think in terms of c command, obviously with the, the little ones, it's a case of they need to know the rules, they need to know what you want them to do, and then just kind of might get them to do the understandings to get the, the behaviour and the, the concentration done for the little ones. For the centre of excellence side of things, um, we do a lot of um, question and answering, um, a lot of trial and error. Um, we want them um, to start researching the game and understanding the game themselves a little bit more, so I'm always probing them to ask different things. But I think on the same side as that, the, when I flip back to the command side of thing, the command side can be where actually, you know, they're not working hard. They're not doing what you want them to do. Um, they're not understanding for whatever reason. So whether you're doing compact play um, in centre midfield, they're not understanding um, the intensity and speed to cover over and slide across and drop in and that kind of stuff. So it's actually almost kind of forcefully trying to say, actually, I'll try to give you a chance to do this. I've helped you do it this way. I'm trying to guide you to this way. It's not working. I need you to do it this way. This is what I want from you. So there's different ways, like you say, with the interventions to step in and, and, and give them every opportunity to try and get there as much as they can. But if it's not getting there, it might need them. Actually, they just, they just need telling. Um, 
but you want to give them the opportunity to understand and make the decisions and ask the questions before you go in and kind of say, this is what I want you to do. Yeah, we, we were talking before this about skillful neglect, um, which yeah. I brought up on this pod a few times. It's um, a great term. I like yeah. it. <laughs> and, and, and having that ability to observe, notice, and, and we as coaches, having been players, and I, I know you're, you're competitive like me, that you know we we want things to go well you know we want things to improve and very often I know I did as as a more inexperienced coach I would step in too soon and and kind of take that moment away of allowing the players to have a little bit more time to figure things out Uh, and I have been surprised sometimes that they actually do figure it out themselves so talk about when it is that you go Right now, I've I've got to step in here. Yeah, I think um totally agree. I think in terms of um, I don't think we give players or young people enough credit sometimes to to figure it out and, and solve it themselves. Um, I say I I used to do this myself as well. We'd set up a session, put the design on, kick off within twenty seconds. You're in there, and it's like they've not had a chance to adapt to um the the, the environment, the the size of the pitch, the constraints within it. Um, it's, it's kind of like you're going in too soon let them adapt so in my head now I always give them at least five minutes I just blow the whistle give them five minutes and then I go in and do a few little bits in terms of my session design now it's kind of um, and the interventions obviously I've evolved a bit more over the years and the way for B stuff in the last couple of years has been brilliant um, there's a lot more drive-bys now so I want uh, the ball rolling times we know we want it kind of 70-80% so I will try and go in and influence players whilst the game's still going on and a lot of the time, depending on, again, the player characteristics and kind of their, their mental state and how they are, whether an introvert, extrovert, there'll be a case of sometimes I have a chat with a player for 30, 40 seconds during the game. The rest of the players don't even see it, but actually they know what we want from them. Um, in terms of stepping in at the right time, it's a fine balance. It's a fine balance. I, I always try to give them at least two opportunities to try and pick up on what, so, you know, we do the session can you try and go and give this a try? We'll see how we go. Give them five, six minutes. It's not worked. It's not worked. Then I might need to go and do a little drive-by. Then I might need to do a little demonstration. And then after kind of, you know, three, four attempts, if it's not working, it's a case of now, this is what I'm looking for from you. I need you to do it this way. Um, it, yeah, it's, but I say it's, it's different for different players and characteristics, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, of, of course. And, you know, in working with coaches, asking them about that it is hard to to know when it happens it's 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 almost instinctual Uh, and and there has to be a sense of intuition at some point otherwise we as coaches become a little bit too robotic in my opinion um but at the same time we don't want to end up stepping in too often and i had a really interesting conversation with a a coach developer in uh, southampton where he was talking about trying to make sure that his coaches weren't stepping in too often and they used three marbles. So you'd have three marbles in your right pocket and it'd be an hour and a half session. And he goes, every time you step in and you stop the whole group, one marble moves from the right pocket to the left pocket. When all your marbles are in your left pocket, you cannot step in and stop the whole group anymore. Yeah. yeah, It's fantastic. Like just the mediating that. And and also I, I remember years ago being told by, by a, a coach developer of mine to wear two watches 
and I, okay. and and on the on the watch that was on my right wrist, I had to stop um, stop watching and, and start it whenever I stopped the practice. And I, at the time, I prided myself on pretty high ball roll time, not stepping in too often. Even though in that session I knew I was counting, even though I knew it, right, <laughs> which obviously meant I did less of it even though I was still staggered at how long I was spending. And it, it really hit home this, this idea of, yes, of course we have to step in. Of course we have to help in that way at times and do a full coaching process. But yeah, really mediating how often it's happening. I was um, told years ago, I think it was, so I've, got, I've kind of sat, I've obviously been in Jersey, we kind of isolated a little bit to the courses to the UK. Um, and the chair, they do a brilliant job of getting them in. But over the years, this, just my mentality, like this continuous learning. I've, I've sat on three level two courses. Um, obviously, it's how to evolve. So I did the first one back in 2004. did one in 2012 and I think 2015 or 16. And then I've kind of jumped into the level ones um, just to see how it changes and to obviously meet the new coaches coming through as well. But I was told through the course of that is observations are skill. I don't think people really fully understand that. Standing back and watching and observing and knowing what you're looking for and understanding the pictures that are moving it's a skill um and i don't think possibly there's enough credit or or understanding around that i think we we as coaches and you know guiding new coaches coming through is actually just back off like you say those three marbles just watch just observe and then pick your moments to go in um of course they only coach at some point you've got a coach you've got to go in and coach at some point but it's the, the balance off again between how much you go in, how, how much information do you give, too much information, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in, in mentioning what you were saying about, you know, going on these courses again, revisiting things, but more importantly, meeting the young coaches. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you is you advocate really strongly for uh, grassroots coaching in the island. Uh, you have a Facebook group where I see you post regularly about things that are available to them, your support to them. You know, and and these coaches are in clubs yeah. around the island that compete against yours. Yeah. Um, so my obvious question is, why are you helping them? <laughs> why? It's it's pretty simple. It's an amateur sport. We want the best for the kids. We want the best for the families. Yes, we want the best for our clubs. We all want that kind of um, recognition that. You know, I mean, I say the club I mentioned before, I was there. We were winning trophies every year. And when I moved to, to Grooville, we kind of changed it in there. So we, we won trophies for almost every year going through there for a few years as well. Um, but there comes a stage, the same part of my learning journey. It's actually when I said about the young kids that don't get the opportunity or or the, the perceived superstars that play every minute of every game and the other ones don't come on to or their team's winning 4-5-0. Actually, there's some milestones in my career where I thought that's not the right way to go about it. I think um, in terms of overall Ireland, we always need more volunteers. We always need more coaches. Um, there's a lot of credit that goes out to, to the coaches that volunteer now. And sometimes it's just um, a kid's dad's thinking, if we don't have someone to run the team, our kids aren't going to play. So they step up and do it. They're not really wanting to become a coach, but they want to facilitate the activity for their kids to play and give them an opportunity, which is brilliant. There's lots of that going around. But in my mind, if, if we can educate these new coaches new parents young kids coming through um about coaching because it's it's a different career and we had some players um that were really high in their trade represent the island had kind of trials and had times at um, pro academies in the uk 
and they come back here and they start coaching. It's just, it's a different job. So as much as you've got the prestige of being a brilliant player, you've almost got to earn your stripes a little bit as a coach as well because it's so different. And actually some of the information you might give from when you're a player and as a coach may not be the right information because it's a, it's just a different ballpark, so to speak. Um, my, my thoughts around it all is we want to raise the level of coach education or raise the level of what's going on around um, the pitchers and the clubs. I'd like to raise the, I guess, uh, the education to pass on to the players and whether that's adults, you know, you know, youth football, mini football, it's going to be. We want the best people running these teams and the best people giving these opportunities to our players. Um, and if I can help kind of with these little nuggets here and there through the experiences I've had, I'm so, you know, happy to do that. I mean, I know in the last couple of months I've had, you know, one of the first, I've had a chat with the first team manager at St. Peter's. I've had a chat with kind of the, the director, the sports director at um, St. Lawrence. I work with, doing the UEFA B, I work with um, Chad Morris. We're doing a UEFA B together and he's at Roselle Rovers. So we've been doing a bit of work together there. Obviously, we've got our own uh, coaches in club that I kind of work with on a weekly, fortnightly basis and have lots of chats with. Um, but it's just raising that profile around the island as much as we can. It's about education. If you want these kids to do better, we've got to do better ourselves. And I wrote, um, it was actually a while ago, I wrote a bit about transference for us going on these courses, getting the certificate, and then going back to our clubs and doing the same thing we've always done. And then we go, in, we go into our training sessions, ask kids to do something a little bit different, and they go to a match day. And then we give out to them because they haven't done what they've done in training. And I'm like, but it's the same thing. We're not transferring our coach education to our sessions. We almost fall back to what we used to do. So, yeah, that's kind of my drive around trying to raise the standards a little bit as much as I can in my own little way. Yeah, which which I'm sure is massively appreciated by those coaches in the island. You know, not everyone's going to engage with it, of course, but um, yeah. I have seen plenty that have. And I think positively we are especially in grassroots worlds moving away from shielded knowledge from from main saying this is our club this is how we do it you can you can go away <laughs> i'm not i'm not yes. going to tell you you know i think we are moving towards more of a wider community of, of yeah. understanding and, and practice and um so it's a real it's a real positive and you spoke also there about there does need to be more on coach education yeah where you know we go on courses and then we go as you say we go back to our club i certainly did this when i was working at st john's you know i did my level one went back to my club and it it, it had no relevance really to my work as an adult ladies coach mm -hmm. so i just carried on with what i normally did and one of the major major problems in my coaching practice there was trying to do four or five different topics all in one session every session yeah. yeah, we'd have a game at the weekend and there'd be four or five things I'd note down as, as things that we needed to to um, fix, bef fix literally <laughs> yeah. before, before next before the next we game. <laughs> and, and, and we'd have a, a Tuesday and a Thursday session and Tuesday would all be all about fixing all of those problems in, in, <laughs> in 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, if I had been capable of doing that, uh, I'd be a millionaire by now <laughs> you know it's just not possible of course it isn't no. so, thankfully i was over time able to reflect back on that but had i had someone that had given me a little bit more aftercare yeah. in terms of that coach education a little aftercare a little support like you're suggesting so tell us a little bit more about what that looks like for the younger coaches that are coming in with you at game sense and how you navigate between 
being a coach for Game Sense and being a coach developer. So, um, yeah, so I say we've been really fortunate. So we've got um, a mixed bag in terms of um, different ages of the new coaches that come in. Some are kind of in the 30s, 40s. We've got, um, so our Game Sense Girls program, we launched kind of a year and a half ago. We, we have, um, we've got three, well, we started off with four, but one's just gone to university. So we've got three kind of um, young girls and they're now kind of 16 and 18 kind of coming in. They've already had some experience working for the um, community program, the Jersey FA as well. Um, a couple of the young lads that we've had, we kind of got in from the, the community program there as well. They wanted an opportunity to be working in a club with the team. So we kind of got those in. Um, the structure we have, so the minis that we have on a Sunday, so we kind of have um, 20 per group. We try to have a, at least four coaches there. So we have like three hours. We almost have like a ratio of uh, one coach to every five or six kids. Um, so I don't, in terms of over the last couple of years, I don't need to be coaching the sessions all the time because what I want to do, I've got my experience, I've got my knowledge. I almost want a better word is using that word fix. I get my fix at the moment with the Centre of Excellence under 14s, working my UAPV project and everything. So working with um, the club game sense um, that we kind of set up, it gives me an opportunity to really help the coaches on that Sunday morning. So we, you know, we've got a WhatsApp group as we do these days and we kind of bounce session plans off each other and kind of we'll check in, I'll, I'll check and challenge a little bit of their thinking around that. Other times I'll just, as you know, as an educator, well, kind of, you kind of, you know, there's some pitfalls there, but we can't tell them all before they do the session because there's nothing, there's not a better learning curve than actually doing it yourself and coming out at the end of the session going, oh my God, that didn't work, or I should have tried this, or I should have done that. So why don't I want to give my answers before they've actually had an opportunity to do it? Because, you know, they're going to be the best teachers at the end of the day. They're going to go do the session, come out. We always have a, a little kind of two, three minute debrief at the end of um, each kind of minis morning. So we'll talk about, um, how the sessions went, you know, what we might evolve, what we try to do differently. Um, I tried to get into our guys uh, across the board at Game Sense through probably the learning I've had with the Centre of Excellence. It's, you, when you're saying about fine-tuning that topic, don't go and hit five, six different things in one, in one hour, especially with like, you know, nine-year-olds or 14-year-olds or three-year-olds. Or you're saying adults, <laughs> just, just can't do it. Yeah. So I kind of set a challenge. So we're good where we are at the moment. Obviously, we've got the whiteboard and some of the gyms at the school. So we kind of plan ahead and say, you know, What's the what, in possession or out possession? What's it going to be? Okay, boom, brilliant. Um, what's your top going to be? Is it going to be forward passing? Brilliant. Give me three things about forward passing that you've got in your head that you would like the kids to learn. And we just put those three things on the board, and that is the reference points. We we discuss it with the kids at the beginning of the session, obviously depending on their age and stage. But that is the um, the reinforcement throughout the whole session are those three things. So if you're working forward passing, I don't want you talking about defending the right area. I don't want you talking about being compact. Work on your forward passing and your, you know, your movement and positioning and that kind of stuff. How are you going to get your team moving up the pitch? Um, so it's a case of for them. The, the, the pre bit is the WhatsApp groups, the chat when we get there, the organisation and the planning of the session, how they do it. Um, the during, I kind of hover around the monitor, give different observation points and just listen into what they're doing. I'll, I'll kind of give a bit of feedback then at the end. Um, so the after bits, yeah, the, the review, um, getting them to understand what they think they've done, how well they think they've done, what again what they might do differently or what they learn actually next week if you can do the same session what, what have you learned just things like that straight away to get them thinking instantly without me having to step in and tell them i think you should do this i think you should do that i think you should change that that's almost that kind of um collaborative approach to, to help them move forward a bit as well sounds excellent you know more of a yeah no like you say collaborative approach with those coaches so I wanted to ask you because I'm sure you'll be uh, have thought about it and be aware of it that 
you, know, you mentioned about you being at sessions and clearly you're the manager, you're the owner of this club and I'm the younger coach in the club and I see you come along and, and we get on famously, but I can't help but feel a little bit more nervous, a little bit more like I'm on edge because Aaron's now watching my session and is is, <laughs> is going to critique it in, in some way. And despite the fact that even though we may have had three or four of these already, and I'm a little bit more comfortable with the fact that you're not going to just come down on me like a ton of bricks about anything, and yeah. that it is about my thoughts and my... How, how do you and your body language, the way in which you're operating in that in that space, is that something that you're really conscious of in terms of trying to make the coaches feel a little bit more comfortable in that space? Yeah, I think, well, I would like to think, and hopefully they'll back this up. Um, I, <laughs> I, tried, I, tried to, um, I tried to build as much relationship as I can with them away from the pitch as well. So I say, where is, you know, we've got these, these WhatsApp groups where we bounce things back and forth, have phone calls, have video calls. Um, obviously, I've not spoke to many of them since before Christmas now. So in terms of like a video chat like that, that we, we can do. So I've just started doing that a little bit this week, just trying to catch up with them, make sure everything's okay and they're getting ready for the sessions coming up. I want them to feel as comfortable as possible when I'm around. and I, I want to make sure that relationship's at that stage where it's a case of when I turn up, I just turn up. Or if we're there on the Sundays, they know actually he's, I'm there to help rather than actually come down on them or anything like that. I don't want to come down on them. It's, it's for their education to help. You know, I always say like, you know, the coach education hits the player education and then like the club development happens overall with, within that umbrella um so i try to build the relationship beforehand Norm, normally if I, if I say i'm definitely gonna you know i want to observe see how you're doing with this one i'll i'll almost kind of back right off in terms of i'm not going to interfere with a session as much as possible i know it's easier said than done at some times <laughs> but i normally try to back right off just to let them go through the whole session um but i'll have a discussion with them if i need to beforehand where they might actually say you know if i'm not sure of this or you, sometimes you can see when they lose focus or struggle or don't have the answers or you know that every intention the best session plan they've ever done and then one kid the little session record comes up and throws a different rule in or a different curveball or or manipulates something that you've got in there to change the whole face of the game and you know new coaches sometimes won't know how to adapt or evolve their session or, or handle that so there'll be times where i'll kind of step in and say think about doing it this way or think about doing it that way and then they'll steer whichever way or there's other time in terms of behavior management probably because I'm seen probably as more authoritative figure for the kids as well. If the behavior's not right, sometimes I will step in and kind of deal with it. But again, I try to hold back on doing that because that's part of the coach education as well. They've got to learn to manage the, the behavior of the players. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I think, the strategy overall that I try to do. And I hope they'll back that up. <laughs> yeah, well, and of course it is going to be different by individual to individual because you'll, you'll have a different understanding of maybe how they prefer to receive feedback or at least how it's more effective for that person. Yeah. It might not be their preference, but it might be the most effective. <laughs> um, but as you say, you know, it is your club. So I'm sure there are moments where you're watching certain things and there is that kind of angst going on of, of this doesn't fit with the principles that we want and what we want this to look like. So I'm yeah. sure that that can be quite difficult at times. But there was a point there that you made of, you know, when we are working with younger coaches like this, more inexperienced coaches like this, really making them understand that the focus is on the players, that we're yeah. only really working with their practice, their behaviours, 
because of the effect that that will have on the players. That's a really nice indirect way of talking about them. Yeah. And, and it's immediately more effective. It is immediately more effective. Clearly, you're very uh, engaged with football in the island. You care about it a lot. What What would you say is likely to be the biggest success for football in the island over the next two or three years? Well, I would, I would love for the Jersey Bulls to do well. Obviously, um, we've 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 had we haven't. I say I'm not part of it, but we've had challenges around obviously the fixtures and COVID and all that kind of stuff at the moment. And then obviously, uh, you know, going for that absolutely un- unbelievable, unbeaten run to get promoted. To Tell their, us to what, not- what is the Jersey Bulls? Tell us what. So the Jersey Bulls is um, a team that was kind of set up over here to give, uh, again, more playing opportunities to, to the, be- the better senior players, men's teams, because um, obviously um, representing the Jersey FA is fantastic and that's what everyone wants to do, represent your island. Um, but in terms of the games programme, there was some um, concerns voiced by many players about the actual um, consistency of the games programme. Obviously, we have the island games every two years, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a case of what can we do to help our men's game to get to the next level. And then the knock-on effect is that, is um, the young kids then coming through the clubs, through the centre of excellence, they can now aspire to be, actually, I want to play for the Jersey Bulls because actually they're representing, you know, League 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 in England, wherever it's going to be in, in the coming years. Um, we want to be playing against the best possible teams we can play against. So um, that was kind of uh, created a couple of years ago by a, a team of people, um, Russell Fever, Ian Horswell. They've got some great people involved with them, great sponsorship involved. Um, but I think at this moment in time, that would be the best thing for Jersey footballs for them to actually, you know, when things settle down again, for them to fly high and get promotions up to a couple of leagues. Um, we've seen the effect it's had on Guernsey football with their Guernsey Lions. Um, so there's no reason why why we can't do that as well. And I say that ripple effect then to inspiring the youngsters a bit more to, to push on and crack on and, you know, can now represent the island and represent Jersey Bulls in, 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 in the English league. You know, what better place? It was never around when we were there, mate. So what a better no. place can it be? No, and I, I would never have been selected. But it, 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 the how does it sit with the national side? Because obviously there's an island side as well, right? That plays in the Marathi yep. and island games. Do they conflict? Um, so I'm not I'm not the expert on this side because mostly the senior men's side of things. Right. I think there has been. I think, by the by, I think there has been a bit of tension when it all started up because when there's something new and there's change, you know, there's there's, there's some kind of friction here and there. Um, there's obviously like the dual registration process to so those playing for the, the clubs in the island in our Jersey League and then obviously playing in the UK League. Um, Gary Freeman, the manager there and and, and his coaching team, Gary's on the way for B course with us as well. So he passed it. He, he kind of got signed off last year. Um, top bloke, very good manager, very articulate, you know, deep thinker. Um but the thing, the challenges around that is obviously it's a selection for him because obviously he almost needs a pool of like 30 players because some might, you know, again, it's amateur football. So some of these guys might be working some weekends, they've got family commitments, you know, might be having babies, whatever, they're missus and that kind of stuff. So he needs a bigger pool of players to go out and do that, um, which obviously then might water down the league situation over here. But on the other side of things, it's almost probably helped the league become more competitive. I think this year at the moment, there's St. Paul's kind of Jersey Wanderers, the other, it's Grooville and kind of St. Juan's kind of chomping at the bit behind them. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's probably a little bit of a close league that has been years gone by when St. Paul's kind of dominated the league for years, gone, 
year after year, won everything. I think it was one year they won six, six out of six trophies. So I think that there is a challenges around it. But I think the more as time goes on, the easier it will become for, you know, the, the clubs in Jersey and the Jersey Bulls to, to kind of work hand together, hand in hand. Yeah, and I've, I've no doubt through your work with GameSense that at some point, in the very near future, I'm sure there'll be a player from Game Sense that ends up in the field. <laughs> I've no doubt of it at all. We hope, we hope so. The last last question for you: If you could have an audience with just one person, who would that be? Oh, jeez. Obviously, the, the favourite would be Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I'm trying to think. That'd be the obvious one, being a Man United fan as I am. Well, that's fine. So, why why him? Um, I think it's more when we talk about kind of the the man management, the individ- knowing the individuals, knowing what makes them tick, knowing who needs the arm around the shoulder and knowing who needs digging out a little bit. Um, I think his management and, and the consistency of like, you know, his enthusiasm, his motivation, his drive to, to, to win, drive to be the best. Yeah, it'd be great to have a conversation around that. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate, I say, when I think of him as a manager I mean I've been fortunate with some of the the coach tutors I've had over here so when I mentioned level two um back to we had Jim uh, Jim Kelman kind of do that one um but Richard Horner come in Paul Holder come in I've, I've worked with some brilliant people that have come over done the courses here so in terms of a manager I'd love to speak to them um yeah yes Sir Alex Ferguson let's say he's the obvious one then you start right. going back isn't you? you look at you look at Brian Clough and uh Alf Ramsey and things like that it's kind of like the different the different generations of how they did things. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. No, good choice. Uh, I'd love to meet Sir Alex as well, but I'm, I might have to not tell him I'm a Liverpool fan. Before, <laughs> we'll see how uh, goes. <laughs> yeah, before the, well, exactly, before the conversation. Aaron, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, if anyone wanted to reach out, what's the best way to get hold of you? Um so yeah probably at the moment so i've kind of um updated the, the website at coachesview.com and i've kind of on twitter with yeah a coaches view um one i think it's under that one i'm on facebook so i'm trying to drive that as much for the football side of things now and use leave the personal account for the family and everything so i'm kind of split it a little bit sure. um but yeah i'm sure you'll have this tagged in the bottom of the, your, your podcast as well yeah absolutely aaron thanks so much welcome to the tribe you're welcome thank you thanks for your time that's it for episode 10 of season 2 always good to connect with Aaron and to pick his brains on a long career of coaching his details are in the description and his blog A Coach's View is well worth taking a look the music you are listening to is by BB Phoenix you can find her details in the links also if you haven't already please do subscribe and leave feedback to keep growing the tribe thanks for tuning in and we look forward to having you back next week